This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. And with thanks to Lex for the last three hours of Out on the Patio and a reminder that the show will be back next week between four and seven. On a Wednesday, we welcome you to Bite Into It where we discuss technology, the internet, uh, all of the good stuff that uh, keeps us going uh, 24-7. Uh, tonight on the show... Uh, I am Warren Davies. I have with me uh, Laura Summers. Hey there. How's your week been? Yeah, good. I had an amazing chat with a man on a tram on the way up who was telling me all about Organite and how it absorbs the bad energy from your devices. So. Oh, what is? Uh, it's a crystal. It's a crystal. <laughs> it's a funny sort of stone. It's. Oh. It, mm, uh, I started to wiki it. Let's just say maybe a little dubious, but I th- it was. He was showing me the device on his phone. It was quite quite um it looked like a bit of soap let's put it that way it kind of had to get a ring or some earrings just to have a bit each way surely. yeah exactly like throw it alongside your magnets and your goji berries dan salmon will you be getting an organite uh eagle for the gas tank on your motorcycle or? no no I'm, I'm more a vivianite kind of guy myself <laughs> but um yeah no anything that will help, help me not die on my motorcycle is more and tru- uh, well and truly appreciated at this point mm. well if anyone's got some suggestions do uh, send them into dan that would be appreciated uh Social networks have not always been a sex positive place uh, and new laws in the States have made them less so uh, in recent times. As a result, some local folk have set up a better place uh, to be uh, called Swidder. Uh, We'll meet some of them shortly and have a bit of a chat about what's going on there. Uh, Also, there was some weirdness in San Francisco recently around uh, shared electric scooters, um, a town hall meeting kind of situation where people were getting angry, fists were shake, um, complaints were made. Um, We'll have a quick chat a bit later about how we're thinking about technology sharing and the new urban environment. Um, Since we're thinking about stuff differently, um, do we have the infrastructure and I guess the technology to support um, our changing lives? But before we get to that, uh, there is heaps of news and stuff going on. one of the things that caught my eye was the uh, Cloud Act in the US has forced uh, Microsoft um, to provide data. Um, it's actually a, a bit of a long legal stoush and a good thing. Um, a case has been thrown out, which is always nice. Um, but effectively, uh, Microsoft had a lot of data on servers in Ireland and they were saying to US authorities, um, we don't have to do squat, uh, we don't have to return that to you, um, we can ignore your requests for, for the data. That's been going on since 2013. But uh, new laws uh, in the states, the Cloud Act, in fact, um, have meant the case has been thrown out by the Supreme Court, which said effectively there is no dispute between the two parties anymore. Um, Microsoft was immediately slapped with a new request for data, which they complied with and handed over the data that had been um, sort of in purgatory for a lot of time. Uh, so I think it kind of feels like... It kind of feels like the Supreme Court gave up after a couple of terms. It's one of those things where if you're in for two or three terms as a as a justice, you just go, you know what, I'm sick of this one being in my to-do list, fixed, <laughs> fixed data internationally. <laughs> so I'm just going to say, you know what, I'm throwing it out along with the recycling. To, to clarify, there's the, the um, constraint or the issue is not just whether you can provide data that's hosted elsewhere, but whether mm. providing that data conflicts with international law. Mm. So the, the weird little addendum that got thrown into the Cloud Act kind of mm. nixed that concern. But yeah, the, the Supreme Court's really struggled with this one because this idea that 
international law um, versus national law and the idea of the internet being a global phenomenon versus yeah. a nation sort of gated phenomenon really muddies the waters here. Mm. Um, so how do you how do you um, comply with both international and national law when the two when the two things conflict? And of course the Supreme Court is going to want to say, hey, America mm. rules it all, but that's not actually the case. Well, one of the issues um, is also that um, it the exception is when provision of the data conflicts with local laws um, and then that opens up a whole can of worms about mm. what local laws are and it sits across finance and industry and sort of civic rights and all kinds of things. There's interesting examples about um, uh, what goes on in the various circuit courts um, around the states and how many um, factors they have to kind of assess whether there is a, a breach of laws. Um, interestingly, in California, where uh, a lot of the internet companies are based, there's um, seven factors in its legal test fo and focusing on what the information... Well, their focus is on what the information request is for and hopes to achieve, which is, I guess, sensitive to the types of requests they get in California and from, from ISPs. But... Did I see you jumping around there for a second? No, no, no. I'm, I'm just finding all this fascinating because it's, it's, um, I suppose, an interesting development. But yeah, I, I wasn't normally really across it before we started discussing it this afternoon. I'm going to be perfectly honest. So. I'm it's also kind of doing the whole thing in um, uh, Tom Hanks's um, uh, faux language in the Cloud Atlas because I watched it on the weekend. So I'm just imagining <laughs> all these lawyers kind of like wringing their hands around a fire, kind of like pointing up at the sky. Cloud Actless. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> you didn't. I so did. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, it's probably a good time to move on. Um, Dan, you've picked up something about a public servant who got in hot water. Well, yeah. So it's it's a, an interesting um, development in the Australian public service. A, a former public servant uh, who worked for the Department of Immigration and Citizenship uh, back in 2013, which is now the Department of Home Affairs, um, was uh, fired from her job in 2013 for uh, tweeting anonymously uh, criticisms of the government's policies. Now, um, at the time, this was uh, the justification for her being sacked was... Um, that uh, the Australian public service needs to be impartial. Uh, so if anything that is said publicly by a public servant should not be uh, politically charged or criticising a government or a policy in any particular way. So that was the justification. However, uh, that's been overturned now by the Australian Administrative Tribunal um, on the grounds that as an anonymous post, uh, there was no way that it could be connected to uh, the uh, former public servant in question, whose name is uh, Michaela Benerjee, um, who is based in Canberra, I believe. So this has been going on since 2014. Um, it's been bouncing around a few different courts and a few different uh, tribunals. And it looks like this might be the, the, the final, um, I suppose, uh, chapter in, in the issue. Uh, uh, Michaela Benerjee is uh, above retirement age now, so she won't be going back to the public service, but she will be receiving uh, compensation. It's It's... A pretty big deal for those who do work in the public service and particularly those who work in uh, areas that have uh, contentious issues like uh, immigration and citizenship or climate change policy or other, those uh, anything to do with the environment. Um, a, lot of, a lot of times people who work in public service are... As a, as a consequence of doing their job, doing things that they may not necessarily uh, believe in or uh, think are ethically correct. So um, not allowing people who do work in those areas, the I suppose the 
ability to air these opinions, even if they are in, a, in I suppose, a, a, an anonymous safe space. That's why you need to always... fake Corey Bernardi accounts. Absolutely, you know, yeah. Well. No, um, I, I, find it, I find it really interesting to see, and it'll be very interesting to see where it goes from here, particularly around people who uh, work in, in contentious areas around, um, you know, climate change, mining, that kind of thing. Mm. Mm. There's um analogy to the there's lots of um, fake Twitter accounts or sort of like pseudo pseudo anonymous um Twitter accounts in the states like the alt EPA and the alt NSA and they have some really interesting things and I think most of those accounts are manned by people who work in the departments but don't want to be visible as yeah. criticizing them and it's kind it, of creative whistleblowing yeah but mm. it seems like a sensible way of trying to air your opinions but also not you know not sort of breach the the sort of terms of your employment with that group mm-hmm. um I'm I'm all for free speech and I'm off certainly for like having a healthy um, critical debate around these issues. So yeah. I'm, I'm really glad to hear that she, that, that ruling was thrown out. Absolutely. And it's one, it's an interesting thing because um, a disclosure, I have worked in the public service in the past. Oh. Um, there is a, a a, a convention that you are supposed to be honest and fear f- and like fearlessly report to your superiors the opinions of you know old things that you believe are right, uh, whether that is you know for or against the policy of the government is it's hard to say, but it it it, it, it gets it, the waters can get muddied mm. in that in that kind of area, so mm. it's it, it's a difficult uh, area to pass. Mm. Mm. Talk, as I say, talking of muddied waters. <laughs> <laughs> did oh, you yeah. just do that again? I did. Get, I this, totally. get this person another cup of tea. Oh, I know, right? Man. It's all Stand happening. Stand back. You've either had too much or not enough caffeine, <laughs> and I don't know which one it Maybe is. Maybe a little bit of both. <laughs> um, so in the States, there's been an interesting upheaval in the cybersecurity department um, on, on Capitol Hill, and that is there's there's um, recently been announced that the cybersecurity coordinator, Rob Joyce, will be heading back to the NSA, where he was previously leading a hacking team um, and his departure comes only a week after Tom Bossert, who was the cybersecurity czar um, and also Rob Joyce's boss, um, also has left. So there's a serious um, brains trust uh, drain that's just happened to the Trump administration. And it's really concerning because these two were sort of credited with being some of the last sensible voices on Capitol Hill and particularly around the area of the cyber, as Trump likes to call it. The cyber? <laughs> the cyber. Oh, okay. oh, I know that's a thing. That's a real thing. Um, and Joyce was, you know, he brings serious hacking chops, right? He he led a, um, sp- a team um, the at the end. Uh, yeah, they were like yeah, crack, crack ninjas. They were, they were crack ninjas. I think, what were they called? Uh, tailored access operations, which yeah. actually sounds like a laundromat, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they, the two of them together were credited with um, quite a lot of things like calling out... Um, Oh, was it WannaCry and yeah, in, um, North Korea. in North Korea, and and also having some very thoughtful strategic decision making around when to acknowledge that a leak had been made and when to sort of sit on that information and like act on it to try and chase those perpetrators, um, which yeah, is pri- a hard balancing act to follow, right? Prior, prior to their um, appointments, um, Trump suggested um, Russia had nothing to do with the election result, and and you know that's still contestable, but mm-hmm. um, recent policy decisions have actually been calling out um, Russian hackers and um, I guess the um, just good sense and evidence base for what's going on um, globally as, as influenced 
um, the White House at the highest level, which is great. Yeah, exactly. And there's there's certainly a lot of um, contention around who could possibly fill their shoes because mm. I, let's just say that, um, you know, Washington is not known for being filled with bureaucrats who also have serious cybersecurity credentials and understand the technology deeply. Mm. Um, so that really, I've, I've seen some, some Twitter comments that basically said they're unreplaceable and this is like a crisis for the administration. I mean, it's there's lots of crises for this administration, so I'm not <laughs> sure if it's going to be the one we read about next week, but but certainly yeah. it's it's one to keep an eye on. One of the interesting things they did was um, they weren't also fast to um, uh, acknowledge or declare when they um, found a vulnerability um, as just, a, I guess, a general practice for, for sort of um, digital espionage. They were able to kind of um, implement that at a high level, which yeah. is good. Like you've got to, you've kind of got to use the tools that are used against you. So yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. Made a lot of sense. Um, but thank you, Rob Joyce, for adding some some sense into this conversation. You'll be missed. <laughs> it's much needed. Much needed, exactly. Um, just quickly, we could probably also talk about um, Unlocked. If uh, oh yes, so yeah. one one other um, local news story is that there's this uh, reasonably well funded Melbourne startup called Unlocked, and they they're um, a phone advertising app that allows users to get some rewards. So it's usually things like minutes on their plan or um, you know like discount coupons that sort of thing in exchange for agreeing to watch ads. And you watch the ads when you unlock your phone. Um, so they had been really quite successful. Had a couple of big rounds of funding. Um, I think up to about 60 million all up was their seed funding, which is pretty, pretty is juicy. Um, and they were, um, there was all set for an IPO to happen in the next week or two um, when Google decided to ban them from their app store, um, which, you know, is it's the, the reason is obvious, right? Like, I think they made some, some rationale that basically said something like, oh, um, it, you know, it's it's interfering with the operation of the device or it's interfering with the operation of other apps on the device. But I think that, you know, the, the guts of it is Google says you don't get to cut our lunch, right? You don't get to take away what would have other been otherwise been our advertising income. And it's, it's non-competitive, but then that is also the way that those marketplaces are set up, right? Like mm -hmm. they are set up to say, you know, we have ultimate right to say whether or not you get to be in here for any reason and certainly if you decide to compete with us we were very happy to kick you off the platform mm. and the same is true for apple platforms the same is true for like um other you know similar similar sort of marketplaces so whether whether this is uh, i think they they may try and um, appeal this decision that may there may be some kind of um court intervention who knows how i mean it's going to be definitely a david and goliath situation if they do decide to try and litigate this um but one to watch and certainly um it must be disappointing for those founders because they were they were just set to kind of make a big splash and who knows what's going to happen now it'd be very interesting to watch mm. laura what's going on so we have two wonderful guests in studio. Um, I'd like to introduce to you Eliza Sorensen and Lola Hunt, who are here to talk to us about a new social platform they've been working on. Thanks for having us. Hey, hey. <laughs> Welcome. It's so exciting to have you. Um, for context, this is something that's brand new. It's only been live for three weeks. So um, if you listeners out there haven't heard of Switter, it is because it is brand new. Um, would you like to tell us a little bit about why you launched it off and like what were the circumstances that made Switter um, a thing you wanted to do? Um, so we started Twitter um, in response to the recent um, bill that just passed in the US called uh, FOSTA slash SESTA. Um, it's, uh, Eliza will go into more detail about what that bill is exactly, but um, it was basically, we started as sex workers, we started losing some of our uh, social platforms and other forms of, uh, other things we used on the internet. Um, 
and we decided to sort of facilitate that. So we started building sort of. DIY. Yeah, yeah, yeah. basically. Nice. It was a very like short process and um, we, you know, we literally worked it out in a couple of days, which was really stressful. Um, <laughs> but it's, uh, yeah, it took over overnight, so it obviously needed to happen. And um, yeah, it's been, it's been really good so far. I have a question on that because we'll forget about it. Yeah. Um, so much sort of money and time gets put into these services to mm -hmm. kind of, you know, and that's what we've been hearing about with Cambridge Analytica and all of that. When you do something for a couple of days, like what are the bare minimums that you need to kind of get people together, do you reckon? Oh, God. <laughs> um, what are the couple of things that kind of really matter, do you reckon? So you need to have an existing community that you can actually, you know, advertise the platform to of like, mm. if you don't have any users, you don't have a platform. Mm. Um, the thing that we we're really lucky to have is two technical people on board. So yeah. the ability to execute um, was quite easy for us. Mm. Um, I think the biggest thing for us is now just server capacity. Um, we're running out pretty quickly and <laughs> needing to move to another provider. So Imagine like fans in the bedroom, kind of like on the <laughs> yeah. server. Yeah. Thankfully not running in our uh, bedrooms. Uh, we've surpassed the 90s, thankfully. Um, oh, but that's a shame. Yeah. <laughs> DIY. Yeah, not that DIY. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, it is it is based on an existing platform that exists called Mastodon. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about what that is? Yeah. Uh, so it's an open source uh, piece of software that allows anyone to set up their own social network. It's a little bit more complicated because everyone can have their own platform. You don't necessarily need to interact with each other. So they have the idea of a federated timeline versus a local timeline. So it's a bit complicated. Mm. But the, the Mastodon um, developers built that thing in reaction to what's been happening with Twitter and Facebook. And um, I suppose it's all related, hey, because fundamentally the ability to um, post what you want and have, have a, a community that's set, set to your own guidelines but isn't sort of um, a top-down governance situ situation is, is kind of the big problem we have right now yeah, um, for sex workers particularly. Um, can you tell us more about this FOSTA law in terms of what, what, are, what are they trying to do and how does that adversely affect the sex workers? Um, so with FOSTA, um, it stands for Fight Online Sex Trafficking Act. Mm. Um, the main, I guess, premise behind it is to stop online sex trafficking. Um, but what they're actually doing is removing protections from platforms, um, which allow, uh, I guess, platforms to have... Uh, removed liability um, for what their users post. So uh, before Foster got in, it would be if someone posted a post of someone who was selling a child or adult or something like that, um, they wouldn't be liable for that actual post, whereas now they are. So it stops freedom of speech because uh, sex workers are just being taken off platforms altogether. Mm. How does that actually happen? How does a platform say, actually, we're going to try and scrub a bunch of this content and users and so forth? Is it through like image search or what's the... Um, I think it depends on what they're looking for specifically. There's a lot of um, hashtags which are primarily used um, within the community to mm. uh, say, you know, they might offer massages or something like that. Sure. Um, but there's a lot of algorithms that you can run over images and go, oh, it's a flesh tone. We have an 80% probability that it's a yeah. nude person and then sure. they'll have a moderation team which will go, yes, no. Yeah, sure. So it's a bit of everything, a bit of algorithm, yeah. a bit of kind of manual interference. Yeah, it really yeah. depends on the platform and what they're yeah. searching for specifically. Hmm. Interesting. 
Um, I've, I've read also that, like, in addition to people being kind of visibly banned off platforms, there's also shadow banning, particularly on Twitter, which is really insidious. It means that you don't know that you've been banned, but somehow your content is invisible to the people you think you're speaking to, and they may not see that you're also not available anymore. Yeah, it's awful. Like, um, I mean, shadow banning is... Uh, it almost makes more sense to just delete our accounts because you you just aren't reaching anyone anymore. So um, I don't know, I would personally rather have my account deleted and then know why that's deleted than have it shadow banned because you just end up, you're still um, creating content, you're still sort of putting yourself out there and doing all this work, but you're literally announcing everything to no audience. Mm. I should have been myself on Facebook one time where I said it to, to <laughs> myself only and then forgot I did that and then for months I was really sad. And yeah, I was right? like, oh. <laughs> exactly, because okay. you're just like, why aren't I getting any clients anymore? Like, why aren't <laughs> I, it just doesn't make any sense. Mm. Um, so, I mean, that's been something that's sort of been um, detrimental. It's been happening for ages now like this this isn't just since foster and sesta have been mm. passed this has been happening for a while so i guess the industry has sort of been um sort of used to uh, well they've gotten used to being silenced from platforms which is really unfortunate um mm. and sort of a reaction that happened on um twitter when foster was looking more likely to be passed um people began to rather than sort of move platforms or i mean this is before Twitter, um, rather than move platforms or find alternatives, it was more a case of let's censor what we have, and that was sort of the only had only choice we had at the time. So, I mean, you find now that if you go through many accounts, they'll be set up to like dating profiles rather than sex worker profiles, which is just really unfortunate because you can't you can't um, share resources, you can't um, I don't know openly celebrate being a sex worker like it's mm. it's you know there's I, so much to it <laughs> I, I think the thing is that if this was happening to another minority we would have seen a much larger response mm. um sex workers aren't a protected class in the u.s um whereas if this was happening to um someone else we probably would have seen you know the large tech companies like twitter and facebook stand up and being like well no this is mm. not acceptable yeah they're not a model victim. Hey, they're not people that, which is, it, 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 yeah, okay, I'm not going to go that. <laughs> I mean, we can, but it'll be a long time. <laughs> but do you want to just, um, I, I really want to talk about all the amazing success you're having, but um, I just, just before we get into that, do you want to just explain how it is that sex workers do use social platforms to like find and vet clients and uh, talk to each other and like protect each other? Because I think that's an important sort of um, facet of this conversation. Yeah, sure. Um, I guess particularly in the US, I mean, in Australia, we're quite um, privileged in that we, um, uh, for the majority of Australia, sex work, sex, sex work, sex work is um, decriminalized. So it means that it is easier to um, work safely. Whereas in the US, um, because it's illegal, you have to go to, I mean, much farther lengths to screen clients. Um, so you have to, you really have to use services that, um, where you can talk to other people, other girls or workers, um, and share that information about abusive clients. And I mean, you've got here again, we don't, um, entrapment for the most part is, um, is illegal, but in the US it's not illegal. So law enforcement is a huge problem over there. I mean, there are cases where girls, uh, sorry, I keep saying girls, sex workers um, have uh, have been um, 
like hired by a uh, what have they got client um, and then it's turned out that they've done the booking and then um, it'll actually be a person of law enforcement which mm-hmm. is crazy that they can do that that's totally legal um, and then they get you know further um, prosecuted from there but it's just you know that's a really sad part of the job so having these um, platforms where we can share like uh, you know who is bad, who is good, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, mm-hmm. um, really, really is an essential part mm-hmm. of this job, um, and you know this is still uh, the case in Australia as well. So yeah, we're not really mean to it. Well, you think like we have rating systems for people who drive us from point A to point B, but we yeah. don't have technology that protects people from potentially really life-threatening situations. Yeah, for sure. Um, it, it does feel like a real gap that we should be addressing. Mm. Mm. Well, particularly in Australia, it doesn't doesn't really make sense um, because we do. I mean, it's not the case in all states, but. Um, for the most part, in many states in Australia, it is decriminalised. So, you know, why don't we have these systems in place? And, um, yeah, it just, it should be there already, you know. What was the experience like in the first few days where people just kind of, uh, I mean, we'll describe the describe the kind of the success <laughs> that you've had, but like the first few days where everyone's like, hey, we've got this place, like we can mm. do what we want. What was that like? It was pretty insane. Um, like how does it does it has it leveled out yet? Like no. now, now, there's, now there's some people here. Like you know, let's have some kind of norms and like you know. It has not leveled out. Like <laughs> we're what forty six thousand users now. Yeah. Um, wow. With I think what over three thousand uh, three hundred and fifty thousand uh, toots, um, which is like post. Toot? Okay, right. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a bit of a. Uh, it's kind of like a tweet. What's the, yeah. what's the icon for like a like an interaction or something? It's like still that? a star. Yeah, we have yeah. it. So, okay. yeah. And it retweets, which is cool. <laughs> People like the tweets. I don't know. It's a thing. Um, <laughs> yeah. But it was really can... like overwhelming. Like um, as soon as it launched, because we weren't expecting um, when Jay and I um, sort of started working on it, we and we did the initial tweet over on Twitter, we thought that maybe we would have a couple, like, hundred people interested. Um, we knew there was a need, but not that big of a need, and then it sort of went viral and <laughs> had to tell lies. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I got the SMS in the morning. I was like, oh, so we did a thing, because I'd only heard little bits and pieces because I was busy over those couple of days, and when we started to need needing adding servers and more servers, it was like, oh, we've actually... We've done a thing. We've done a thing. <laughs> <laughs> so how many people came onto the platform in that first couple of days? Oh, gosh. I actually don't even remember. I, I, it's, just been, it's been literally <laughs> so fast. We were just talking mm-hmm. about how it's sort of like merged into the one sort of really long day of <laughs> Like it's just a really long day. We're not sleeping particularly yeah. uh, great at this point in time and uh, all of the uh, metrics just merge into one. Mm-hmm. Um, how, but I think mm-hmm. it's averaging on like, like 2,000 2, a day, so wow. um, we would have had like about 11,000 in our first week, and yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's been a pretty hectic ride, but um, but it's all good. We'll keep keep going. <laughs> do, do you have users who haven't been using social media widely just because of some of the issues that you've talked about before, and they're like, I would actually join this one and give it a crack? Yeah, there have been users which this is their first uh, social network mm. outside of their like kind of real personal lives. Yeah. Um, which I kind of found really surprising. I didn't mm. expect that. Um, but mainly we're seeing a lot of uh, people moving over from Instagram and Twitter. Mm. Mm. 
Do you have a sense of how many um, users are sex workers versus people who are there to interact and talk and maybe be clients? Like, Gosh. is there, is that a, or are you just like kind of seeing a big mix of people on there at the moment? I, th- I would say it's mainly sex workers and um, clients. Or it, it's mainly sex think? workers, but it's yeah. uh, the clients that they're bringing over from other platforms because yeah. mm. they can only get this content on Twitter now. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. A lot of the girls are just being flat out banned from other platforms mm. and they need a way to continue keeping a, in contact. It's a great way to scale. Just go, me and my 5,000 people are going over here um, and that's yeah. where you're going to find us. <laughs> yeah. like, that's literally what's happening. It's it's really, really bizarre because it's yeah. like, um, I mean, a lot of these, a lot of the workers don't, um, they'll have giant followings and mm. on Twitter, mm. but it's just because this platform has been so crappy to us <laughs> for mm. such a long time that, um, you know, it's, it's a necessary move for a lot of people, so... Yeah, it makes sense. It's especially sad to see them be so bad to sex workers when they seem really tolerant of things like racism and hate speech and all this other stuff. And you think, hmm... There's definitely some some sort of double standards going on here in their decision-making. Oh wow! I'm I'm still reeling from forty six thousand people in three weeks. (laughs) Like I think every step. So are we. Um, so, so can you tell us about the highs and lows? Like, what have you been adding new features? Like, are you just managing the load? Like, what's been going on for the development team? Um, <laughs> so, a, a big part of it for so far has just been managing the load mm-hmm. and uh, trying to just deal with the support side of it. You know, people uh, signing in with the wrong emails or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, we've been doing a little bit of uh, backend development on the Mastodon platform itself to try and make it a little bit more uh, friendly for moderators and uh, a little bit more performant. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's, I guess, the biggest thing for us now is, you know, I think we have like eight or ten servers in the background. So mm. the more juice we can squeeze out of each application server, the better we are. So I think I saw that um, Twitter is one of the top six um, instances of Mastodon spun up and live at the moment. It's probably yeah. even creeped up from there because that article was about a week old. Yeah, I think we're um, five now. I think so, yeah. That's pretty exciting. Gunning for number one. It's crazy, right? <laughs> yeah, we're coming <laughs> after you guys. Yeah. <laughs> on the crawl back, <laughs> it'll be good. But that's interesting. In many ways, you're a stress test for the system, right? Because mm. they probably have, have started more the way you intended to with like a couple hundred users and then just creeping up from there. Um, so that's, that's pretty interesting. You're just putting the open source developers to the test. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> it, it seems like a lot of the Mastodon community kind of grew a little bit more slowly, not so sharply as we did um so i think we've been unlucky to find kind of all the pains that they would have hit and had time to deal with yeah Mm. so does this become your thing for have you kind of put pause on other things that you do and you just focused on this for a bit or um yeah so i uh recently left my job for other reasons besides this um so i'll be working full-time on this uh and I guess I've like just cut back on work, so it's um yeah it's been a lot of long long days, a lot of really long days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they melt. But I mean really in a good way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, but yeah, I mean we've had to obviously um, put a lot of things on hold because of it, but um, I think it's definitely worth it. It feels really good to sort of give back to the community yeah. a bit. So, but whenever you decide not to, you can just go. We did a thing. Like, yeah, you know, we weren't expecting it, but it happened, and, and this that was amazing. Thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it's really cool. I, I think it's really important for the community in the end to stand behind this. Um, 
because ultimately it's for them. It's not for... It's um, not for us. Yeah, it, it's mm. not for the mass social. It's for yeah. sex workers. And mm. at the end of the day, we're helping them. And yeah. it's one of the best feelings to know that we can actually do positive in this world when yeah. they've been handed such a bad plate from the government. Mm. Yeah. So if people want to check it out, if there's sex workers out there who haven't heard about this, how should they get involved? What should they do? Um, well, you can uh, check it out. You can just literally Google Switter or um, head over to Switter.at um, and you should be able to sign up over there. There's also like, um, you can check it out on the homepage as well so you can get sort of a general rundown of what it's like. Um, where I guess we're also on Twitter as well. So if you mm. wanted to see part of that, we do a little bit of like behind the scenes over there. So yeah, I guess that's probably the best way. Yeah. Unless you have something else. Um, <laughs> yeah, if you guys are interested in helping out with the platform, we'd love to hear from anyone um, yeah. who's dealt with commu- like actually running communities previously. Um, so hello at assembly4.com. Um, yeah, the more community support we can have, the better off we're all going to be. There's a lot of community managers out there who do listen to the show. So even if you could mm-hmm. just send the guys some um, emails or just some tips or connect them up, um, that'd be great. Yeah, it'd be really, really good. Yeah. But you guys yeah, have sweet. some sleep. Yeah, no, we're like, <laughs> yeah, sorry. We've been up since 7am dealing with another fire. So, yeah, there's a lot of things. It seems mm-hmm. like, yeah, you just wake up every morning and there's always like something there. And it's, it's good for like... It keeps things exciting, <laughs> but, um, you know, you're always battling against something, so it keeps it interesting. Yeah. So. <laughs> uh, Eliza and Lola, thanks for coming in. Thank well, you very much for having us. Well done. Congratulations. Yeah, thanks so much. Yeah, well have, you guys, have you guys seen a bunch of shared stuff kind of hanging around? Have you had kind of a gut full of the O-bikes or you kind of use them from time to time yourself or how do you feel about them, <sighs> them bikes? I Look... I, th- I think it's 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 an honourable intention that has just been so poorly executed. Um, you know, we're seeing, and we can go on for years about you know people littering and leaving the bikes wherever and all this kind. Of, you know, they're in rivers and they're being dragged out of things and put in trees and all this kind of stuff. The the, the sharing economy and I suppose the, the gig economy writ large has it's it's still going through teething, teething problems as far as I can. See, I guess I don't know. This mm-hmm. is a very un, un, unlearned or un, un, uninformed opinion that I'm no, throwing out here. But drop it for us, come on. No, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm rambling, basically. <laughs> but um, I mean, you're, you're looking at stuff like I mean, we're, we've got uh, issues with, uh, I suppose, the, the the quick adoption and scaling of things like Uber mm-hmm. and Airbnb and how that's affecting urbanism and how it's affecting you know existing industries and all the disruption and all those buzzwords that people throw around. But then when we, when we someone comes up with the new ideas like the O bike, which you know takes what we've already had in terms of you know the the, the docked bikes that a lot of cities have as part of their civic. Uh, provisions in Melbourne we have the you know the RACV bikes and you've got the bikes in London and in a lot of other cities um, and kind of shared umbrellas shared um- China, mm-hmm. shared, um- shared yeah. umbrellas absolutely but but you take something that exists and tweak it to make it supposedly easier to use you know o bikes can be picked up and dropped off anywhere that's a lot easier than going to um, you know a rack by the Vic market that is actually nowhere near where you live or need to have have, have your bike um, in theory it works and then we end up with the side effect of bikes in the rivers. Mm. And I <laughs> and the glory that is the O-bike fishing videos on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting. I think um, when I was kind of reading up on this a little bit today, um, 
there was a kind of a tipping point for us as a species where in 2009 we had more people living in cities than we did in rural areas and that was a path we crossed over you know hundreds of thousands of years of, of evolution um a lot of people have realised that the kind of bureaucratic uh, organisational structure of um, modern civic life doesn't really serve us very well. Um, we're kind of a little bit removed from it here in Melbourne because we don't really have mega cities in, in our part of the world. But once you get to um, Asia, um, South America, Central America, um, where you have not just mega cities, but mega cities joining up with other mega cities to have this kind of large sprawl, um, you have to get a little bit smarter about this kind of stuff. Um, and I think that's why we're seeing things like the O-Bike and one of the interesting things that popped up in um, San Francisco recently were uh, electric scooters in much the same way as the O-Bikes are just kind of thrown everywhere um, all over the city uh, and people got their knickers in a twist about it. Uh, advocates in motorised wheelchairs, <laughs> a martial arts instructor making extra money um, and a bunch of other concitizens got together. My favourite quote is, I think that these scooters run amok are actually a plot of the young people to kill us uh, kill off us old farts so they can have our rent-controlled apartments. Oh. Community member Fran Taylor told the Board of Supervisors. They're on to us. <laughs> They're on to us. <laughs> Quick, yeah. run away, run away. Run away. On your uh, road bike. On your, on your scooter. On your scooter. <laughs> on your scooter. Um, but it's, um, I, I guess that's one of the, the big challenges of, of um, this century is if we're all coming together, we don't need as much stuff. We're in smaller spaces, so we can't have as much stuff. And how do we share stuff? And I think we're kind of just at the weird kind of recognition um, beginning of that phase where there's going to be a lot more stuff. One of the things that I'd like to put to you guys that I think is kind of interesting, I was reading, was it Treadley Magazine last weekend when it started bucketing down with rain and... I like bike magazines because they just look so good. Like, who doesn't like kind of gear, right? Mm. Um, and they were profiling um, bike garages, which they have in Scandinavia. So with my limited understanding, I do have a bike, but I don't ride it in Scandinavia. So forgive my lack of knowledge here. My understanding is you cruise into your capital city, you've got a bike and you're like, I don't want to chain it up because it's going to get stolen or, you know, I need to have a shower or something like that. So they have these big garages where you can just cruise in almost like a car park and just park your bike. You have a locker and all of this kind of stuff, which is a great idea. And in one of the ones that I was looking at today, um, they have gyms there, they have cafes. So there's these kind of centers, which to me makes a lot of sense. Mm. If you can imagine Flinders Street Station with, with just as much space for bikes and creches and and childcare and uh, learning or what have you, sort of the equivalent of the, the library or the, the plaza or what have you, it makes a lot of sense. Mm. Mm. And then we can do all of these things like the shared sheds, um, classes, what have you. It's almost like a return to kind of rural life where we all kind of like borrowed the one shovel in the street or something like Absolutely. that. Absolutely. And it's like a community centre. It seems like something mm. that, you know, a service that may not necessarily be lucrative financially for whatever reason gets set up by, you know, an altruistic group or something along those lines. We've discovered, little... we've discovered the Middle Ages. It's amazing. Yeah, I was going to say, like, the commons. <laughs> yeah. I was like, this is a concept it's that's existed for, for a long time Absolutely. now. Absolutely. Common, common law, common mm. property, common resources. Yes, it doesn't have to be provided for profit. Mm. But it, that, that raises an interesting point there, right? Because we have been so trained to only value things we have to pay for. I mean, thinking mm. about like San Francisco littered with beautiful like electric bikes. I mean, these are actually beautiful. And even mm -hmm. the O-Bike. I mean, look, it's not an, it, I, I don't really like a big heavy bike like that. It's not the most aesthetically beautiful thing, but it's still of value. But somehow when something is provided for free, we are immediately discounted or we devalue it. We just don't yeah. think it's worth anything. Mm. Which is inter it's interesting though because O-bikes, you do pay for an O-bike, don't you? 
O-bike is something that you you pay, you pay a subscription you, for. Oh, I thought it was like per ride or something, but it's it's reasonably cheap, and certainly people don't seem. Well, okay, maybe maybe the point is the price point then, like how mm. much you pay for it, and is it is it high enough to make you understand the value, and and you know like is there a reason why we can't have nice things? Like, can we not have shared nice nice objects or resources, um, and is that to do with sort of classic capitalism writ large and the way that we only value the things that we actually own? Mm. Um, I think you know it's a good point that some of them some of them are p- things that people pay for, but they're still really quite cheap. Yeah. Um, and then like the I think there's um. Some cities do have bikes that you can just use for free as a tourist. So it's yeah. Um, whether, sharing. yeah, yeah. It's interesting in that I think it's a cultural thing. I, mm. um, uh, my partner, who you may know, is from America, and <laughs> funnily as, enough, <laughs> and when the bikes started popping up here, I said, "You just wait; they're all going to end up in the river mm. and on tops of things." Like, and she's like, "You're kidding me! Like, people are going to ride these; they're going to park them; they're going to be fine." And like, yeah fast forward, you know, fishing videos of kind of O-bikes and kind of like ET installations and stuff. I think it's a thing that happens here. Um, Mm. I don't think it happens everywhere. Um, Mm. I think some of these services come from parts of the world where people are respectful Mm. of stuff and, you know, scrape gum off the sidewalk and clean up and and do stuff like that. Well, you see, I mean, you mentioned um, uh, Stockholm, the the bike parking centre. Scandinavia, people are extremely uh, respectful, particularly in a city like Copenhagen where uh, there are bikes on every corner and people never touch them. If it's not your bike, you don't touch it to the point mm-hmm. where the f- pavements and the streets have gotten so clogged with bikes that it is left and no one's picked them up that they actually need to deal with it in, in a kind of an almost get, get it out of the way kind of way. Laura, look at us. You're living in a country of convicts. Yeah. <laughs> you don't think about this very often, but that's mm-hmm. what's going on. Yeah, people just steal stuff. That's what we do. <laughs> Interesting. Um, I think one of the other things that is, um, it came up on the show uh, maybe a couple of weeks ago, we we're talking about um, a civic currency through blockchain. Um, yeah, South um, Korea, Korea has S coin. Yeah, S coin. Mm. And this this idea that not just um, our physical stuff, but if, is there a, I was even thinking about it when we were talking about Twitter there, about almost having a, a not a national identity because that's pretty creepy, but almost like a um, some kind of... Um, uh, access code or some kind of thing which can either be um, uh, um, the blockchain people are going to be all over me about this one but um, some kind of thing that we can unlock and lock things and it's almost like with the Twitter thing it could almost get turned off so if you do the wrong mm. thing if people if people report you and it's been um, held up then you don't have access to, to certain things but how do you guys feel about sharing digital infrastructure? Or you mean having a national like identifier, like, like a yeah, like a public key, which is sort of available in a nation, national one, database where people can identify who you are. One Dropbox, uh, yeah. one access to streaming. George Orwell's heat your heart out. Yeah, so we get rid of the, the um, sort of commercial model for all of this stuff, and mm. it just becomes a like people are saying Facebook needs to be kind of regulated, like a mm. like a public utility. Um, Tim Cook is saying that. I wonder what he stands to gain. <laughs> just his impartial <laughs> point of view. <laughs> Interesting. I don't know. Maybe we'll. Um, I mean, do you, do you guys? How do you guys feel about that? Like sharing your sharing your digital Look, stuff a little bit more. I, I quite like the idea of having a closer connection between the digital identity and the real life identity for things like resource sharing. Because if there's a little bit more personal consequence, you might take a bit more 
thoughtfulness to whether or not you just dump your O-bike in the river. Um, But I mean, I do think, I I think that it won't solve the problems entirely. And I do wonder, like, I think there's a deeper cultural thing which you spoke to, which is like how we treat things, physical things in the world and like whether we, whether, I mean, like, I I don't know if it's convicts, but Aussies are certainly (laughs) Larrikins and there's definitely like, you know, a laconicness, a silliness, a like, you know, and like maybe just, I I think that it's hard to imagine um, the problem going away without us also thinking about how we change the culture of how we interact with physical things and like the value we place on things. And um, I I think that's deeper than a public key that's available, you know, like that everyone can know it was Warren who did that thing. Like, I think it's, it's, it's more about how, how we value physical objects in the world and like how we value our shared spaces as well. Like how we choose to decide that we all own them and we all are responsible for looking after them and keeping them clean. Um, like I mean, change will be forced yeah. upon us anyway. Like as, yeah. as all of these kind of factors kind of um, intermingle and force us to think about, you, we don't all need three cars. And, yeah, and certainly yeah. as the cities grow, for sure. Yeah. Like we're, we're starting to hit that like higher density housing thing happening and people are starting to see the value of shared resources. Like you do see more car share things happening and you mm. do see more services that can be like shared amongst your neighbors happening. Mm. Yeah. Um, I, and I, I welcome that. I hope that we can see more shared community, f- you know, like gardening, more shared. Uh, like I would really love to be able to compost my food just quietly. Like that would be so good. And food scraps are just one of my least favorite things to throw away. Yeah. yeah. It's messy. It, um, um, it's going to take a huge cultural change around the idea of owning your own or, or being or self-interest, I suppose. The, the, that's 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 going to be the bugbear, I think. Yeah. Is, is the sticking point is going to be getting people to realise that there is value in uh, in commonality and, and yeah, yeah. And, yes. and not be not be afraid of socialism, basically. Yes. <laughs> Um, a couple of things to mention. Um, if you do have knowledge and you live in Melbourne and um, weeks are a thing that you do, um, <laughs> we are doing a show. Um, bite into it, which you are listening to, um, is getting out of the studio and we're going to be standing in front of um, a bunch of people at Melbourne Knowledge Week. Um, so if you'd like to come along and say hello, um, all of the crew is going to be there. We're going to have some great guests. Um we might get a rider. I'm not really sure how it's going to work. <laughs> there um, better be a rider. <laughs> there better be a rider. Um, <laughs> new gold max for everybody. Um, it's going to be happening on Wednesday 9th of May um, as part of Melbourne Knowledge Week. So um, it's going to be at the hub at the meat market. Um, if you check out uh, mkw.melbourne.vic.org.gov.au and search for um, Bite Into It, even if you just search for Melbourne Knowledge Week and Bite Into It, I'm sure we'll be talking more about that uh, in the coming weeks. Um, but another thing that's really cool is there's a hack coming up. Yep, this weekend there's an internet freedom hack called Defending Truth, um, which is a community event bringing together technologists with a passion for digital rights. It is this weekend in Melbourne, and if you go to internetfreedomhack.org, you can register and go check it out. Cool. There's a couple. There's Melbourne and... And Brisbane, yes. Brisbane, sweet. Um, thanks to our guests, uh, Eliza and Lola, uh, for coming in, and thank you to you uh, for... Uh, keeping us company and um, keeping our silly shit in check. Um, We've been (laughs) right into it. Um, Up next is Anthony Carew with International Pop Underground. So we hope you stick around. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.